So, hey, uh, kind of transitioning over to the message today by show of hands. Uh, how many? How many of you like to fly? Like getting on a plane? Oh, lots of people. Uh, online people, you too. Like if you have bravely gotten on a flight in 2020, or you plan to do so soon, leave that in the comments field. Or even if you're planning on driving somewhere, kind of interesting. Like I think uh, transportation and travel is just one of the uh, interesting things to get a pulse on during a pandemic. So it'd be fun for you guys to interact a little bit over that. Well, I don't really like flying. Okay, like I, I like getting someplace, I like getting from A to B faster than slower, so I do get on planes, but I'm what they call a, a nervous flyer. You know, uh, by the time you get on the plane in your seat, they kind of pull back the drawbridge. I don't really know what it's called, but I'll call it the drawbridge, like we're leaving the castle here. Uh, you, you start driving off, and, and then there's the U-turn. You know the U-turn they make, like well, by the time you're going to face down the tunnel or the runway where you're supposed to be taken off, like it's it's during that U-turn that my uh, fingernails kind of like get sunk into the armrest. Well, like I'm not going easy on on this thing. It feels to me like when we start going down that runway, like like I'm riding an elephant, an elephant that's trying to get enough speed to take flight. It just kind of bumbles along. It doesn't feel very. Fluid, even to the point where, like those first, uh, the wheels in the front get, get off the tarmac. That's that's great, but then when the back wheels go up, there's there's kind of like a dip. You you know the dip that I'm talking about? No, most of you got your seat in the front, where I, my seat's always in the back. So I always feel this dip. It's still like the back end of the plane does not agree with the front end of the plane, and that totally makes me nervous. And uh, <laughs> so I'm like tensing up all the more. Well, by the time we get to cruising altitude, I'm I'm pretty fine. Right, you can actually appreciate the view. You got like these, like cotton fluff ball clouds underneath. Yeah, I, I appreciate the vantage point. What if there's turbulence? Oh my goodness! All bets are off on how I'm doing after that. Like the the plane is shaking. All right, I got someone next to me reading a magazine. Another person's listening to music. Some guy's taking a nap with no appreciation for we're in a tin can, thirty five thousand feet above the ground, and it's shaking. Nobody should be okay with this at this point. I'm even looking out the window and you, the, the, the wings like kind of flap a little bit. Like what, what the heck is that about? I, I'm sure it's someone's intentional design, but I'm like, someone ought to bolt these suckers down. My house doesn't flap on windy days. My car doesn't flap on windy days. Like this is an airplane. We should have anticipated wind here. There should be no flapping going on. In, in the middle of this. And then you got the people. All sorts of people that make it so much better when you're flying. Right? Like, uh, hey, you, you load on the plane and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. We're going to have a, a little bit of delayed for maintenance. And everyone groans and everyone starts complaining. I'm like, hold on, no. I feel like standing on top of my seat and say, people, listen to me right now. We have got no need to get on a plane that needs maintenance. Let them check it three or four times. Let's sit here three or four hours if necessary, because by the time you get up there, you don't just pull over to the side of the road when it's time to do maintenance. Now is the time on the ground for maintenance. Y'all, you crazy people, stop complaining. Or how about the flight attendant, right? Like they, they, they make the flight attendants say so many crazy things. Like, hey, everybody, just so you know, your seat floats. That's good news. If you're on a boat... I'm not on a boat. I'm on a plane. How about a parachute? Everyone think that that would be a good idea. Maybe there's like budgetary issues or, or something like that. I mean, like, is, 
is Sully flying this plane? Like, every pilot just knows how to fly, like, land in, in water? And what happens if I'm flying to Arizona? Not a good my floating seat cushion is going to do me then. I mean, I, I could keep going on. I, I actually thought you were going to have a lot more fun with this opening illustration than you are, so I'll just cut it off uh, right here. Um, but man, I'm a nervous flyer. But at the end of the day, you know what happens? I get to where I'm going. I trusted the plane enough to get on it. I did not trust the plane as much as the guy next to me taking the nap. And that's kind of the thing that ought to come back in a perspective. We all got to the same place. But it would have been a lot more comfortable for me had I trusted more along the way. What does it take you to get trust going somewhere anyway? Like, like is trust an experience thing? Like, if I just log more miles in the air, I get used to it, and then all of a sudden I trust the plane by experience. It's, maybe trust is something more like turning your mind off, right? Like a 100-ton tin can, 35,000 feet in the air. Maybe you're not actually supposed to think about any of that. You're just supposed to go along with it. Or maybe, maybe you're supposed to turn your mind on. Like there is an aviation science out there. And you don't have to know all the details of it to know that someone has worked it out. And your part in it isn't anything more than paying your ticket, checking your bag, and sipping one of those tiny cocktails till the whole thing's over. Right? At the end of the day, I'm not talking flights. You know, this this is how pastors do it, right? We give some illustration, and then we shift on over to, like, what we're really talking about today. Trust is showing up everywhere. And sometimes for you, it's showing up nowhere. Like, like, like in the workplace, if a word gets used like merger or acquisition or consolidating, what's it take for you to build trust back up in that kind of environment? Uh, and and get, if you're getting into a relationship or maybe more difficultly staying in a relationship, what's, what's your speed of trust in the relationships? What's it going to take for you to really open yourself up to someone and stay open? To them, what happens when Junior wants the the car keys to drive to wherever, or, or your daughter wants to sleep over at whoever's house, or they tell you, "Just trust me, my, my my grades are fine." That's what everyone in the class is doing. Or, Dad, hey, I can make my own relationship choices now. Okay, so like, there's a point in every parent's life where you got to turn to your kid and say, "Like heck, you're gonna make your own decisions. You have to earn my trust on this one." First. So what does it mean to you? What does it take to earn your trust? Because it makes a difference. It makes a difference just about everywhere that you're interacting. It makes a difference as to whether, A, you're going to enjoy yourself along the way. B, you're going to keep sweating it out. You had enough faith, you had enough trust to get going, but not enjoy yourself while you're doing it. Or C, Maybe you don't even got enough trust to get on the plane in the first place. And God's taken that same question over to you and wants to know the same. What will it take to get you to really trust him? Some of you have trusted him enough to get on the plane, but you're white-knuckling this thing out from here and not trusting the plane to do its job. 
Some of us are still waiting to get on the plane in the first place. There's, there's a better way. There's got to be a better way. Uh, I'm going to recap for you where we've been so far in our Christmas series. A couple weeks ago, Melissa and I introduced this diagram for you here. So instead of this Christmas of going through the stories of shepherds and stars and things like that, we're trying to get you into the theology of Christmas, the, the study of God, what it is we can know of him from what he's done for us. And that's really how it starts. Up in that top left quadrant, God started by being for us. God made us with love, continues with love. There is nothing that will ever take away from the posture of God's love towards us. It's driven him so much that on occasions in the story, he's moved to being with us. In the brokenness of our humanity, he shows up with his glory and intervenes in the story. That's great, but it's kind of hit or miss, hit or miss, until Jesus enters our world and becomes one of us. He puts the ball cap of humanity on, so to speak, without sitting down in the halo of his divinity at the same time. And that's, that's the changer. That's where the complexion of humanity is changing. But he takes a step forward where he wants to move to being in us, where what he did on the cross and with the empty tomb is something that transforms us from the inside out. He will live out his righteousness through us. We hand him his faith, hand him our faith in what he has done. And, and today what we're going to zero in on is the one of us section, where everyone's got a us in life. You know what I mean? Like there, there's those people over there and there's us people over here. And you tend to trust the people who are defined in that circle of us. And what I want to do today is talk at length on all the links that God went to to become one of us so that you could trust him. Let's pray and then we'll really get into it. Jesus, some of us are looking to get on the plane for the first time. We're nervous about doing so. Some of us are already on the plane. And it seems like we're just as nervous still. God, I pray that you take us to a place where, where we enjoy the life that we have inside of you because we fully trust you. Take our hearts further in that this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start off by reading for you Hebrews chapter 4. We uh, uh, did this last week and I liked it, so I'm going to ask that we do it again. Can we stand for the, the reading of Scripture, the main text we're doing today? Uh, people who are sitting at home too, this is a time where you can get off the couch or step away from the kitchen table just for a moment here and, and show some reverence for the Word of God. Here we go. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him help us in our time of need. That's the Lord's word to so you. You may have a seat. Thanks so much for participating in that. It's that last line there, uh, verse 16, approaching God with confidence. That's the picture of trust that Jesus is trying to work into your life. Everyone trusts their us, and this is why Jesus is becoming one of us. I'm going to give you three ways that Jesus became one of us, and I'm also going to give you four ways that that actually matters right now. So there's like seven things I'm talking about today. If you are a note taker at all, 
Today's the day you want to get the notes going or, or take little screenshots along the way, whatever it takes, because there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff to understand about God today, and I hope you don't miss it. Uh, first of all, Jesus became one of us when he served and he suffered. Okay, so what we read in verse 14 kind of jumps to the end of the story. It talks about how he ascended. He left earth going up to heaven. But before he did that, he had to complete that which he came for. And and that was to give himself as a sacrifice for us. He served and he suffered. I like how it says in Matthew 20, 28. uh, This is Jesus talking. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, just a little sidebar here, that title, Son of Man, is a title that Jesus adopted for himself. No one gave it to him. He took it for himself, and he uses it a ballpark of 30 times in the story. It means member of humanity. It means I'm a part of this. That title meant a whole lot to Jesus. That'll unfold as as we go. But, you know, when we're talking about trust, I I think for me, two of the biggest things that uh, form trust is serving, and, and suffering, okay? So, like, I don't trust someone who doesn't serve. If you are all about yourself, if everything is bent around benefiting you, and I'm just, like, part of the system that goes back to benefiting you, that's, that's really hard to trust a person like that, isn't it? But someone who gives of himself, you, you start trusting. And Jesus didn't just give some of himself. When he went to the cross, he gave all of himself. And it wasn't himself he was thinking of. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about other people. That's why he gave himself over. A ransom price needed to be paid. Forgiveness is a very costly thing. And Jesus says, I will be the one to pay it for them. He was serving us when he did it. Not only that, he was suffering for us. Now, this one's a little hard to put my finger on and explain it, but I I do feel like I trust people more who have suffered you've gone through some pain in life. I trust people with experience. And for worse, more than better in our world, real experience in this world often comes down to going through some real hurts. And when someone's experienced real hurts and really made it through it and became stronger at the end of it, there's like a tensile strength to people like that that, that, that that I can trust in a little bit more. And again, that was Jesus. At the end of the day, it wasn't the nails that were holding him to the cross. It was his love for us. He loved us so much and was for us so much that he was living this out as one of us. And you see, this is is where the Christmas story is getting bigger. It's not just about a baby who was born in a manger. God, being one of us, comes down to the fact that he served and he suffered. And he's going to keep walking this out through, through everyday life. Everyone trusts their us. And here's Jesus living out what it means to become one of us. Secondly, he was tempted. You see that in verse 15? We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Okay, so like people like you and I, uh, there's one of the things we really hate. We hate when someone says, hey, I know how you feel. You know, you don't know how I feel? You don't feel what I feel. You're not going through what I'm going through. And so like it kind of like bothers us when someone says it. But when Jesus says it, I know what you're going through. I know how you feel. It's because he does know 
because he did go through it. It says that he's gone through it in every way. Okay, so there's, there's this exchange out in the wilderness. Uh, maybe you remember the story where Jesus is tempted. And, and when he's being tempted, he's tempted with things like, like power and position. These things tempt people like you and I. And the, the power and position that Jesus was tempted with was like way above what you and I will ever experience. It was happening for him. He was tempted to take a shortcut towards that power and position like you and I are. He was tempted to take the route that is without ethics. He was tempted to find his own way when he was frustrated with God's way. He was tempted to say, I need this. I can't live without this. I don't want to live without us. He was tempted to call what he knew of God into question because he didn't have it. Okay, so that's a pretty good list that pretty well covers the basis of what people like you and I go through. But I know what you're thinking right now. It's like, really? Really? Jesus. Tempted in every way, just the same way I am. Like, you kidding me? Like, is Jesus tempted, get the same temptations that surround loneliness like I do. Was the Son of God ever really alone? Uh, Hey, uh, what about the temptations that come when you're feeling rejected or misunderstood? Yeah, Jesus was rejected and misunderstood. But as God, like, kind of what isn't he above that a little bit? Or just the temptations of wanting to be liked or loved. You and I are tempted to do stupid stuff just to fit in middle school never ends. We just always live in this world of wanting to fit in. Did Jesus ever care? This is where you got to use a little imagination when you read the story. Like when you approach the Bible, you approach it with, with, with authority. But you're also supposed to use your imagination because we're told very clearly that we don't have every story of Jesus that could be told. So like, just imagine between the lines for a minute what his life must have been like. Like, how about this one? It's Christmas, right? Joseph. When do you hear about Joseph outside of the Christmas story? What happened to the guy? Jesus grew up without a father in the family at some point. Is it because he divorced Mary? Did he divorce Mary? Because of Jesus. Like this whole immaculate conception thing, just like put a wedge in their relationship that, that the dude never could recover from or, or, or get over. Maybe, maybe Mary's the one who had to divorce Joe. Maybe he was the problem. Maybe he was a bad dad. Maybe he was just a bad person. Maybe it wasn't safe for Jesus to grow up around Joseph. Maybe, maybe, maybe his dad, Joseph, just died early in life. I don't know. Fill in the blank with the story, is it? But imagine what someone grows up with. Imagine what you would feel. I imagine it is what a lot of you have felt in some capacity. Look look at what he had with his siblings. He didn't get along with his brothers. The one story we get from James while while, while Jesus is is, is walking this world is James is uh, like, like, like throwing jabs at him. Like you're really not who you say. Go ahead, go ahead, go prove yourself in the temple. That's what you always do, bro. Didn't have a good relationship there. How about, how about rabbinical school? You think Jesus ever got treated like the know-it-all in the classroom? You think maybe he was ever tempted to just play dumb to fit in? You think maybe you got teased because you're different? Because every kid, every person in this world gets teased for being different. Did he, did he just want to leave it all? Did he just think about leaving this world. Was that always on his mind? Listen, it, it says in verse 15 that he was tempted in every way. 
then it means that he was tempted in every way. There, there's got to be some dark parts of Jesus' story where pain happened, where things went down, that people like you and I can relate to. We didn't get them recorded, but we can use our imagination that he does, in fact, know how you feel because he's been through how you feel. Everybody trusts their us. And being tempted in every way like we are was Jesus becoming one of us. But he did it without sin. And that's, and that's the final part here. Okay, So like, like Jesus served and he suffered. Jesus was tempted, but Jesus was also perfected. Verse 15 again tells us that, uh, that he never sinned. And that's, that's a good thing. That's, that's the way you and I would want it. That's the way you and I would expect it. I mean, especially like coming off of a political year where you might like this guy's ideals here and this guy's charisma over there. The fact is everyone's got a couple skeletons in the closet when, and when they come out, you're like, ugh, ugh. I just wish, wish I could really trust someone out there. But with Jesus... You know, there, there, there's no cover-up story that's going to come to light later. He started right, he stayed right, he ended it right, and then he came back and continued it on in the right for people like you and I. Everyone trusts their us. And as Jesus perfected humanity, he's becoming the perfect one of us. He served and he suffered. He was tempted. He was perfected. You see, God becoming one of us is so much bigger than uh, a baby boy born in, in the flesh. He continued it out in all these ways because he knew that everyone trusts their us. And so in every aspect of his life, he was becoming one of us. Now, turn your attention over to what, is, what, what does that really do? Okay, like if you really trust Jesus, if you really see him as one of us, what what... What happens from here? Okay, the first thing that happens is now we get to see God fully as he is. He took a form that you and I could understand. You know, the idea of God can, is kind of this abstract com- concept. Maybe it's just a force of nature out there. Like, no, like he wanted to make sure he was understood. So he took on a, the human form that we could know and understand him from. Colossians 2.9. For in Christ, all the fullness, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. None of it was compromised. None of it was left out. You get to see all of who God is in a way that you can understand because Jesus became one of us. Also, now we get to see humanity fully as it's meant to be. Like, this was the real human, okay? So, like, there's so many ways in which Jesus gave us a third way. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but that's what we as people do. We love coming up with either ors. And uh, uh, Jesus just had a way of presenting third options. Like we think it's like either uh, you, you get divorced or, or, or you stay together. And, and Jesus said, no, the two have become one. Hold that one in front of you. Or, or we think like, it, like in a crisis moment, it's either fight or it's flight. That's the two things that, that, that you can do. And Jesus says, no. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Right? Or in our world, you know, we often put it down to, hey, we're, uh, we're either going to judge the, the, the wrong or we're going to justify the wrong. That's the two places you can land in all this. And he says, no, how about, how about forgiveness? That's bigger. 
Try that on for size. You see, we didn't just see who God was in Jesus. We saw what humanity was in Jesus, what it would mean uh, to, to be human in the fullest, best way. He became the way. He became the truth. He became the life for us. He is, he, he is the Son of God, but He's also the Son of Man. And He keeps pulling that title back in, pulling that title back in, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm one of you. I'm part of you. I'm, I'm identifying with all of this. I'm a human. More than that, I am the human. This is the picture of what human is. And so no God is fully flesh forever. Like if you look at verse 14, again, it talks about how he ascended in, into heaven. But more specifically, like in Luke 22, it says that the Son of Man, again, there's his title, will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. The member of humanity will be seated right at the hand of God. He was born in the flesh, died in the flesh, resurrected in the flesh. When he ascended, Jesus was still in the flesh. And when he sat down next to the Father, he sat down as the Son of Man. Do you realize how wild that is? That the humanity of Jesus wasn't a wardrobe change that he went through just when he took center stage. He is still a person. He's still one of us sitting next to the Father in heaven. And, and the difference that makes, like verses like 1 John 2, 1, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Just think about what it means to have an advocate next to the Father. If he was just the Son of God, it'd be like leaning over to the Father. Anytime we messed up, it says, okay, remember, I, I died for that one too. So if you can just take that exchange of what I did on the cross, make sure it counts for them. That, that would be the Son of God leaning over. And he does. But the Son of Man, the human, also leans over. He says, I, I went through that one too. That's hard stuff. You got that kind of brokenness around you? And, and, and so my prayer for them, Father, is here's how they, they can make it through it. Here is the transformation of their heart. Here's the friend that I want to show up in their life. Because Jesus is the human, not just the God. Sitting next to the Father. And now finally, uh, this is the last one. This is, this is one that I really like. Now God is fully our friend. And just pause for a second and take that in. I'm going to say it again. Now God is fully our friend. Matthew 11 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Guy who's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You you almost hear the schneer of of how they say it. Now, the the word for friend here is is, is a word derived from the word love. Um, Jesus loves sinners is what it's saying. And I think it's interesting the word that's being chosen here. It's not the Greek word agape. Agape means unconditional love. And that's very much God, and that's what you hear us preach all the time at Lake Point. That's actually the point of last Sunday's message, is that nothing that you can ever do will take away from the fact that God loves you. That's just his disposition towards us. That's not the word being used here, though. 
It's, it's phylos, kind of love. Phylos is a friendship kind of love. It's a I associate with you kind of love. It's I want to keep company with you kind of love. In other words, like the love that Jesus is talking about here isn't just having a positive disposition towards sinful people. He's actually saying, I, I like sinful people. I'm having fun here. Like, Jesus enjoyed spending time with them and associating with them and wanting to get to know them better and to take the time it took to, to just, just, just be one of those people. Jesus liked getting around people that were getting it wrong. So like if you're the parent who's struggling to not raise their voice at their kids all the darn time, Jesus likes you and wants to spend time with you. If you're the kind of person who's struggling with gossip, like you keep telling everyone else's business like it's your business, or you're struggling with, with, with the lust of the eye, the stuff you look at and the thoughts you have after you look at it, like that's your deal, or if you got a problem with envy, like your life's never good enough, someone's always got better, you just wish that you had what they had and you hate them for having it, like if that's the kind of person you are, Jesus likes you. And he wants to hang out with you. If you're a person who's impatient, if you're a person who's inconsiderate, if you're a person who finds yourself in your unkind moments, Jesus still likes you. God likes you. He wants to be with you. He says, I'm one of you. I want to be inside your us. goes back to the opening question. What's it going to take to get you to trust him? Trust him to get enough on the flight? And trust him enough to enjoy yourself along the way to where you're going with him. It wasn't just a baby boy born in a manger. The Christmas that came down to earth, stayed down to earth, is one of us forever. Because Jesus, he served and he suffered. Jesus was tempted, and Jesus perfected it. Everyone trusts their us, and that's what Jesus did to become one of us. Now we get to see God fully as he is. Now we get to see humanity fully as it's meant to be. Now God is fully flesh forever, and now God is fully our friend, because everyone would trust their us. So he was becoming one of us. Uh, yesterday, I, I coached a, a seventh grade team in, in their basketball tournament. It's a, by the way, this is kind of my world right now, so you're going to have to get used to a number of <laughs> illustrations from it. You'd be happy to know, though, I watched no Hallmark television this week. So no illustrations uh, related to that. Uh, several people threatened to revoke my uh, man card in that regard. But uh, So, hey, uh, this, this basketball tournament that, that, uh, that I played with, with these boys last week, uh, yesterday, First game was way too easy. The last game was way too hard. The, the middle game was just right there in the middle. We got up by 12 or 14 points, and then we got it down to where we were uh, only within a bucket or, or, or two, and the assistant coach leans over to me. He's like, Brian, we got, we got to put our best five in right now. We got to catch some momentum back, so whoever our best five is, get them on the court right now. Let them lead the way towards getting this thing back in order. I looked at the kids that were on the court, and I looked at the kids on the bench, and I'm just scratching my head. I'm like, who's, 
Who, which, which five are those? And I know the question he was asking because we've had the years where the kid was really new to basketball and just needed to catch up to speed. We have the kid who was the bad ball handler, and so like you, you weren't sure you really wanted to pass him uh, the ball when there was traffic. There was a couple kids that didn't respond to pressure well, so like they weren't really allowed to be in in the last two minutes of the game. But this year, three or four seasons in with these kids, I'm looking around, and it's like, it's just us? Yeah, you got different talent levels, but everyone's making their contribution. And, and it's totally changed the team atmosphere. Where before one of the kids wouldn't get passed to. Or before when such and such a kid made the mistake, everyone would kind of dog on them a, a, a little bit. But now it's just us. And it's, it's fun to hear the seventh grade boys talk it up around school. And they can tell what it's like to be like one of us, but no one really knows until you are one of us. And, and you know how this works. Because you experience in every aspect of your life, defining your us and extending trust when someone gets in there. Like, oh, you're not crazy. Like us construction guys are, you know, there's just like something different about being one of us. Or you know how it is, us school teachers and all, that's, that's just how we are. You wouldn't know unless you're a teacher. Or how us restaurant staff uh, really are. Or whatever it is, whatever your field is, and then us starts getting shaped around it. Or maybe it's like, hey, us hockey players, man, you know, like when you're playing hockey, oh, you don't know because you don't play hockey. Or us, us golfers, as long as, you know, you know, if you've never been on the, on, on the course all day with your golf cart, you just, you just wouldn't know. We just keep taking all these spots of knowing that here's what it is like to be one of us, and no one knows until they're in that inside of being one of us. Those of us who come from down south, those of us who are from out east, those of us who were born and raised in the frozen tundra, we're, we're, we're the cheeseheads, right? Or us bear fans. We like to talk about the Super Bowl and only Super Bowl that we've ever won, and it was 25 years ago. No? No one thought it was funny? I thought it was funny. You always got these Bear fans, and they're like forming the bond over defense, and no one ever thinks that they need a decent quarterback. And December comes around, it's so easy to pick on Bear fans. There's, their season's already over, and here you are, you and I get to, get to smile at them. Even Bear fans got in us. Everyone trusts their us. And Jesus, at great length, he became one of us. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. I hope that's enough to get you to trust. Dear Jesus, I pray that you work a good thing in our heart. So many of us are at that cusp of wanting to throw our trust into you. Some of us have given you your trust, given us, given you our trust. But God, it still feels like we're sweating it out every day of our life. It's not really trusting you to do what you do. I gotta pray from the stories and the lessons and the words that that, that your son has shared with us that we trust. 
Whatever wallet's gone up that needs to go down, whatever questions plague us that nag in the back of our mind, whatever dilemma we said, I just can't get over that one. I pray that you get us through back to your son because he's one of us. For your glory in this world, we pray.